tonight it has been announced that I want to talk about some changes that I've seen in the Lord's Church over a period of 60 years or more. Let me say in the beginning that there isn't anything wrong with the word change. It depends on what is being changed. For instance, uh, we've changed from the slatted pew to the padded pew. I thought that's a good change. And we have wall-to-wall -wall carpet. We have uh, electricity. Every year when I was a young man, we didn't have electricity. We had lamps. And so we now have uh, electric lights. We now have central heating. And uh, we all have central cooling. So these are changes that have been made to a physical age that are good. I'm glad we've made them. So I'm not talking about physical changes tonight. I'm talking about uh, changes I've seen in the Lord's church that have disturbed me very, very much. In the first place, I've seen a change in attitude toward the power of the gospel. In Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul said, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, and woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning of the verse 18, Paul said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to naught the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? After that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and verse 12, Paul said, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of Johnson Myra. It is a discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And in Mark 16, 15, Jesus Christ said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So great emphasis is placed upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it is through the gospel that we become children of God. It's revealed to us what the gospel does for us. For instance, the gospel convicts man of his sins. If you remember the sermon we preached last night, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, beginning in verse 29, he said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, who is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins is according to his flesh, he will raise up Christ on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, how his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Therefore, this Jesus hath God raised up for all we're all witnesses, and being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he sent forth this which you now and see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou on the right hand, unto make thy enemies thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know it surely that God has made that same Christ whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. So this is an example of the gospel 
pricking the heart, convincing people that they were sinners, aliens from God, and that they needed to hear the gospel. Also, we learn that uh, the gospel builds one up. When Paul, when Paul was talking to the elders of Ephesus, he said, And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. The gospel was, well, is, has endured the test of times. In First Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 23, Paul said that uh, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all of flesh is as, as, as the Lord man as the flower thereof, the grass withers, the flower thereof fadeth away, but, he that, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. In Matthew, the 24th chapter and verse 35, Jesus Christ said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So the word of God is here to stay. It's just as powerful today as it was when preached on the first day of Pentecost. Nothing has changed about the Godhead. Nothing has changed about the plan of salvation. Nothing has changed about our worship to God. But there's power in the gospel to change the lives of people. I've seen the power of the gospel. I've seen what the gospel can do. I've, I've seen the gospel convert the alcoholic into a godly, sober, God-fearing man. I've seen the gospel of Jesus Christ change wife beaters into kind, faithful, thoughtful husbands. I've seen the gospel change those who once hated the church into faithful members of the body of Christ. I've seen the gospel of Jesus Christ change that when seemingly was woven in the very nature of mankind. I've seen the gospel change habits that seemingly were unbreakable. I've seen the gospel deliver people from the bondage of sin. I'm thinking now of an individual who told me about his conversion. He said that he was in the service. And he said, I was so mean and ornery and sorry that no one wanted to room with me. And he said they'd put some person in the barrack with me to room with me. It would not be long that he'd go to the commanding officer and say, I want another roommate. He said, I was so mean, no one wanted to be around me. And he said they put a young man in the room with him who was a member of the church. And this young man, he said, was very quiet. He said he'd, he'd come in at night raising cane, using profanity, taking God's name in vain, but said the young man was very quiet. But he said on the next Lord's Day morning, this young man got up and said, I would like for you to attend service with me today. And he said, he was such a nice young man, he said, I decided to go with him. He heard the gospel. He went back several times. He obeyed the gospel. Today, he's an outstanding gospel preacher. His son is a faithful gospel preacher. Now, what did this? The power of the gospel. So there's power in the gospel to deliver one from the bondage of sin. It's the gospel that gives us light of life beyond the grave. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, but no one had ever proved to Abraham that there was such a city. All those righteous men in the Old Testament days looked for this city. Job asked on one occasion, if a man died, will he live again? We don't ask that question today. The reason we don't ask that question today is because that Jesus Christ came to this earth and proved to us that there is life beyond the grave. The heathen often complains 
that the sun goes down in the evening. It comes up in the morning, but that their loved ones go down to the eternal darkness of the grave, never to come forth again. To the heathen there is no anticipated tomorrow, where the rainbow of hope would burst up on the grave and wake the eternal slumber of the sleeper. But we don't ask that question today. Why don't we ask that question? For instance, can you feature a man who served God all the days of his life? And upon his dying bed, he says to those standing around his bed who fast receding from his presence, farewell, it's farewell forever. Our saying to this one who's walked by sight from victory youth to both old and gray, farewell, it's farewell forever. This is not a true picture of death. It isn't a true picture because Jesus Christ went with the pale monarch of death into the silent darkness of the grave. While there he broke his crown, took his keys, chained the monster of death to his chariot wheels, and rode aloft to heaven and shouted as he went through the air, I have the keys of death held in the grave in my hands. But who gives us that hope? Jesus Christ. Through what? Through the gospel. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's sad to know that this glorious gospel today is being perverted by many, even in the church of Jesus Christ. In Galatians, the first chapter, beginning the verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But he said, there be some that would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though we are an angel from heaven, preaching to you any other gospel than that which we preach unto you, let him be anathema or cursed. As I said before, say, say now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you other than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I shall not be the servant of God. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel that I preach, I did not receive of a man, neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the gospel that we're to preach today is the gospel that we receive from Jesus Christ through his revealed word. It's not my intention to please any man or to please any woman. Of course, I wish all people every time I pre preach would say, I believe that, I want to obey that. But my aim is to please God and not some individual in the church or out of the church. Paul's aim was not to please man. Paul's aim was to please God. He said, I certify you, brethren, I didn't receive it by man. I wasn't taught it by man, and I don't preach to please man. I preach to please the God of heaven. And that should be the aim and the desire of every gospel preacher. And I state to you with all the power of my being that it's a perversion of the word of God when these men teach that man is saved by grace and grace alone. We all know that we're saved by grace, but it's not grace alone. We forget some that grace is God's part. Grace is not on man's part. Grace is God's part. We're saved by grace through faith. God's part and man's part. And when man obeys the law of God, then through God's marvelous grace, he's saved. And for man to teach that man is saved by grace alone, and I read recently where some individual writing, and he said, God saves by grace only, period. That's a perversion of the word of God. It's a perversion of this pure gospel I've just been talking to you about. It's a perversion of the word of God to teach that man is saved by faith only. It's a perversion of the word of God to teach that baptism is non-essential. Just recently, 
that I was an individual teaching the Bible class in the church on Sunday morning and teaching the class that baptism was not essential to salvation. These men are perverting the word of God. And Paul said, let that man be accursed. And every man that perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to stand before God as a perverter of God's truth and not a lover or a promoter of God's truth. And so I've seen an attitude toward the power of the gospel manifested by some who even claim to be gospel preachers. I've also seen in my lifetime a change from distinctive preaching to a general type preaching. Let me say at this point that there are two ways to teach. There are two kinds of teaching. One of them is general teaching. The other is distinctive teaching. Now, Jesus Christ did both of them. And for me to pattern my life after Jesus Christ, and for me to be a balanced preacher, I'm going to have to do general teaching, but I'm also going to have to do distinctive teaching. Let me give you some examples. For instance, Jesus Christ does some general teaching. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 1, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are you when men shall... Re uh, blessed are they that persecute for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the same as the first one. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you false for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You can preach that material in an denominational church in this county. You can preach that in any Jewish synagogue. You can preach that in a Muslim mosque. That's general teaching. Jesus Christ did general teaching. And for me to preach like Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to do general teaching. But Jesus also did distinctive teaching. Listen to him again. This time in Matthew the 15th chapter, verses 8 and 9. This people draweth nigh unto me of their mouth, their honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. That's distinctive teaching. Your religion is wrong. It's vain. It's empty. It's useless. It's no good. That's what Jesus was saying to them. There's anything general about that. It's distinctive teaching. And Jesus did that. In Matthew the 16th chapter, verse 18, Jesus Christ said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's distinctive teaching. So Jesus did both general teaching, he did distinctive teaching. And for me to be balanced in my preaching, I must do general teaching, I must do distinctive teaching. But we're living in an age when men and men now are just doing general teaching and they're leaving off the distinctive teaching. And when we fill all of our teaching with general teaching without a distinctive teaching, then the church is headed toward apostasy. So we must do both. That is to be balanced in our preaching. To be the kind of preacher that God wants us to be. Because we have an example of Christ's teaching. And we should pattern our teaching after the teaching of Jesus. And if I pattern my teaching after the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to do general teaching. And I'm also going to do distinctive teaching. Well let's take the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. Did he do any general teaching? Yes he did general teaching. 
Let us listen to Paul. He does some general teaching. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, beginning of verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, yea, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, if I have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love bondeth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easy for folk. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never faileth. You can preach that in any denomination or church in the county. You can preach that in a Jewish synagogue. You can preach that in a Muslim mosque. That's general teaching. Did Paul do general teaching? I guess he did. He's the one who wrote those words. So for me to be a gospel preacher, to be balanced in my teaching, I must do general teaching. But Paul also did distinctive teaching. Listen to him this time. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 1, endeavoring to keep the, 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 the body, the bond of spirit, uh, endeavor to keep the unity of faith and bond of peace, there is one body. Not two, not three, one body. That's distinctive. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he has put all things under his feet and has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So Paul says there's one body and that body is the church. That's distinctive preaching. In Galatians 3, 27, Paul said, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That's distinctive teaching. In Romans the sixth chapter verse four, Paul said, "Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death." That's distinctive teaching. So Paul did both general teaching and distinctive teaching. Now, for me to be a Bible preacher, and when my aim is to please God and not man, I'm going to do general teaching. I'm going to do distinctive teaching. Well, somebody speaks. I said, "How when am I to do general teaching? How when am when when am I do distinctive teaching? If a man doesn't have enough judgment to know when to do it, he ought not to be in the pulpit." There's such a thing as common sense. So that I must do general teaching, I must do distinctive teaching. But we're living in an age, and in my lifetime, I've seen a shift from distinctive teaching to almost a general type teaching that can be preached anywhere. Well, let's take another preacher, see how he preached. Well, the Apostle Peter. In Second Peter, the first chapter, beginning of verse 4, Wherefore given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be protectors of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. And beside this, had your faith virtue, the virtue of knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brother kindness, love. For if these things be in you abound, they make you that you should never be barren or unfruitful. But he that lacketh these things... Of course, will fall short. He that lacks these things will be lost. But that's general teaching. You, you could preach that sermon in a denomination of church in the county, in a Jewish synagogue, in a Muslim mosque. It's general teaching. Peter did general teaching. Now, I've made a pattern in my life. After those Bible preachers, I'm going to have to do general teaching. But Peter also did distinctive teaching. Listen to him this time in First Peter the third chapter, in verse twenty-one. 
the like figure for unto baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience before God. One verse reads, for an appeal to God for a clear conscience. That's distinctive preaching. Baptism doth also now save us. You cannot separate baptism from salvation to save your life. Let's do him again in Acts the second chapter and verse 38. When those people asked what to do to be saved, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is distinctive preaching. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because I don't want you to misunderstand me. A man can preach truth for a lifetime and never tell a person what to do to be saved. A man can preach truth for a lifetime and never mention the word baptism. A man can preach truth a lifetime and never mention the Lord's Supper. But he cannot preach the whole truth without talking about baptism. He can't preach the whole truth without talking about the Lord's Supper. One of the most dangerous things in the world is to hear half-truth. Let me give an example. Two men met in town. One said to the other, my mule is sick. The other man said, yes, my mule got sick. Yes, what would you do for him? He said, I gave him a pint of turpentine. So they parted. They went away. About six weeks later, they met in town. This man said, didn't you tell me that when your mule got sick, did you give him a pint of turpentine? He said, I sure did. Well, he said, I gave my mule a pint of turpentine. It killed him. Well, he said, it killed mine too. Did he tell him the truth? Yes, he told the truth. He gave the mule a pint of turpentine. That was the truth. But he didn't tell him that he didn't tell him he killed his mule. And that's what a lot of the preachers done. It's true. It's true. Preach. Sometimes you hear a man say, well, I never heard preachers think of truth. Well, I guess not. A man preached for a lifetime and never preached the whole truth. A man must preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's balanced preaching. And unless a man does that, he's not doing balanced preaching at all. In 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, is one of my favorite preachers. His name was Micaiah. And if you remember, we're told in 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, that Ahab, Obviously, one of the meanest scoundrels that ever lived. He was king of uh, Israel. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Ahab invited Jehoshaphat down to visit him. You've heard that expression sometimes blood gets thicker than religion? Well, it does sometimes. But somebody asks, why in the world would a good man like Jehoshaphat visit? a man like Ahab, make affinity with him. Well, Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram married Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. So you see that somehow sort of tied these families together because their sons and their daughters married. And so Jehoshaphat went to visit Ahab and Ahab in the conversation said, Ramoth in Gilead belongeth to us. He said, we need to take it here. He said, Jehoshaphat, would you go to war with me that we might take Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat said, my people are as your people. My horses is your horses. 
But Jehoshaphat said, uh, I'd like to hear what the word of the Lord has to say about this. What about the prophets? Well, we call them preachers tonight. Ahab said, yes, we got 400 of them. Well, he said, I'd, I'd like to hear what those men have to say. Say so if they brought the 400 prophets or preachers out there. Ahab said, uh, we're thinking about going into battle to take Ramoth Gilead. He said, shall we do it? Those 400 prophets said, yes, go into battle. You'll win the battle. Zedekiah took some horns and demonstrated before them how, how they would push those people from Ramoth Gilead and destroy them. And after those 400 prophets testified, Jehoshaphat asked, is there not another prophet? And I've often wondered why the word he asked is another prophet. He just heard 400 and won't know if there's another one. Which would indicate that down in his heart he doubted what those 400 prophets said. Jehoshaphat said, yes, there's, there's another prophet here, but, but I hate him. And no doubt, Ahab, why, why would you hate this prophet? He says he never prophesies good concerning me. Did you ever see people that hate somebody for telling them the truth? Well, Jehoshaphat said, I'd like to hear what he has to say about it. And so they sent after Micaiah. And this is what the man said to him when he went to talk to him. He said, now, 400 of us have already spoken to the kings. Ahab was wanting to know which you're going to battle. And he said, all 400 of us agreed with him and told him he was doing the right thing. And then he said, you let your word be like our word. Then we'll all be united. And Micaiah said, I can only speak those words that the Lord puts into my mouth. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if all of our pulpits were filled with men who have the attitude, I can only speak and teach what is taught in the Word of God. No more, no less. And so sure enough, Micaiah went out there and Ahab said, you were going to battle. And so I guess it's hard to use sarcasm sometimes. Micaiah used it. He said, sure, go on in the battle. You'll win it. Ahab said, I told you to talk like that. He said, I charge you by the name of the living God. Tell me the truth. Because he knew it was sarcasm. Micaiah said, yes. I saw the children of Israel like sheep scattered on a mountainside without a shepherd. Ahab said, I told you. He wouldn't prophesy good. He said, take Micaiah, throw him in prison, feed him on bread of affliction, or water of affliction, until I come back in victory. And you know, sometimes it seems like some of the best people in the world, many times are gullible people. If you remember, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, you put on your royal robe. He said, I'm going to disguise myself. But you'd have thought Jehoshaphat said, well, you think I'm crazy? You want me to dress up like a king, go out there and let him shoot at me, and you've disguised yourself? But Jehoshaphat said, fine. So Jehoshaphat went with his royal robe into battle, 
So sure enough, when the people saw him, they started toward him. They were going to kill him. And Jehoshaphat explained who he was and let him go. And some soldier took his bow and arrow and just shot an arrow and hit Ahab and killed him. Michael was a great man, a great man of God. I've also seen a change in our type of preaching they were doing. We must realize that the church is always just one generation away from apostasy. Every church. Every church is one generation away from apostasy. In Judges, the second chapter, verse 7, it says the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that lived Joshua. What a great, godly, influential man. All those elders served with Joshua. After Joshua died, as long as they lived, they served God. But in verse 10 of that same chapter, it says there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 1, Paul said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as appearing, preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall each of themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall be turned away from the truth and turned unto fables. Did you notice that reading? There are just four short steps to apostasy. Step number one is they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the first step. They don't like sound preaching. Number two, he says that heaps of themselves teachers having itching ears. That is, they get the type of preacher that they want to preach to tickle their ears. Number three, he said they'll be turned away from the truth. And number four, they'll be turned into fables. Just four short steps to apostasy. And then Paul said they're turning to fable. What's a fable? It's a fairy tale. A lady sent me a letter of a gospel meeting that they were having where she was a member. And she said she observed that this man night after night was just telling these fables, these fairy tales. And so she decided that the next night that she's going to write down every one he told. And she said he told 16 human interest stories and then extended the invitation. And with that kind of preaching... What would keep a church from going into apostasy? If you remember, in Joshua, the first chapter, we're told that God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And Joshua was appointed to lead God's people. Have you ever observed the advice that God gave to Joshua in Joshua, the first chapter? Number one, he said, observe, observe to do all things according to the law. Number two, don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Number three, don't let the word of the Lord depart out of your mouth. If all men would just observe these three rules, the church would stay pure and free of false doctrine and error and would, be, would not be carried away into any kind of apostasy. Just observe, do all things according to the law. Just teach the Bible, the Bible only. And don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Oh, I've often heard this cute remark. If you get in the middle of the road, you're getting run over. I'm not talking about the middle of the road. I'm talking about the middle of truth. And God said, don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Stay balanced. If you're not careful, you'll go too far to the right. you go too far to the left. I went to a place preaching a gospel meeting. I just sat down on front pew looking through the songbook. And just about every song in the book, he had it marked out. You can't sing this song. 
It's had a few songs that they sing in the congregation. There's such a thing as going too far to the right. There's such a thing as going too far to the left. Let us do what God said to do. Stay in the middle. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Just preach the truth. And then in the conclusion, I've seen what I would term professionalism to develop in many of our congregations. What's the danger of professionalism? I do not think of preaching as a profession. I think of preaching the gospel as a dedication, a life dedicated to God to preach his word. Professionalism is a tendency for professionalism to render service to man at the expense of serving God, only to preach to please the people instead of preaching to please God. Also, professionalism leads to overlooking the real needs of the people, such as salvation from sin, opposing those things are wrong. Also, professionalism leads to telling people what they want to hear instead of telling them what they need to hear. In Acts the 24th chapter, when Paul was preaching to Governor Felix, one of the most wicked men I suppose to ever live, good unbridled ever lust he ever had in his life. And you know what he talked to him about? He talked to him about righteousness. A man who probably knew nothing about it. Tempest. Learned teaching him to control himself. And then the judgment to come. That's just an outline of what he said. I know there's a powerful sermon because the Bible says, Old Felix began to tremble. And when you can preach in such a way to make people tremble, it's powerful preaching. And then professionalism leads to a belief that the church of Jesus Christ is no more than any other religious type in the world. A few months ago, I was talking with an individual who was telling me that the Christians and all churches, in other words, to him, the Church of Christ was just another denominational institution. Professionalism leads to this, leads from a strong identity as God's exclusive people to a more tolerant, compromising position towards sin and denominationalism in general. And then professionalism leads to pluralism as opposed to the prayer that Jesus prayed for unity in John the 17th chapter. These are some of the changes that I've seen in the Lord's church that to me are very disturbing and unless we come back to preaching the Bible and all about not being fanatical, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, just do general teaching but also remember we must do distinctive teaching and when we do this we're pleasing God. A great responsibility it's resting upon every man that preaches the gospel and everyone that teaches the Bible. A great, great responsibility is resting upon them. If you're here this night, subject to invitation in way, I want to tell you what the Bible teaches. That one must believe on Christ. He must repent of his sins. He must confess his faith in Christ. He must be baptized in order to have his sins forgiven. And he must live a faithful, dedicated life. So if you're subject to invitation in any way, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.